0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, numbered 302, for Monday, December 6th, 2010. Ah! Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. Here in cold, Durham, New Hampshire, I am Dave Hamilton. And here in cold, Fairfield, Connecticut, I'm John F. Braun. And the Mac Geek Gab, of course, for those of you that are new to the show, are, uh, R no, is... The Mac Geek is the show where you write the agenda by sending in your questions, sending in your tips, sending in your thoughts about uh, all things Mac, all things Apple, technically speaking. Uh, and uh, and we try to answer your questions and solve your problems and share your tips and share our tips. And, John, I am totally stoked about the show today because we have so much stuff uh, to go through. It's been uh it's been a while since we've done a, a, a kind of a normal Q&A show for the uh, for the standard feed. We did one, of course, last week for the premium feed. And uh, and we actually have some comments about about that, about the uh, the one little teaser thing that we did in the in the uh, in the placeholder show. Uh, but we've got some of that coming along, too. But uh, but let's let's um, you know what? Let's talk about our first sponsor for the show, which is Smile at smilesoftware.com. They make great apps for the Mac. Tons of them. Uh, The one we're talking about today is Disc Label. Uh, What Disc Label is built to do? You've probably already figured it out if you don't know already, but it is built to uh, make... CD labels, make DVD labels, make jewel case uh, inserts so you can print them out and fold them up and put them in as jewel case inc- inserts or DVD case inserts, you know, the kind of the taller ones that you get with your uh, with your DVDs, or your video games these days. And it's so cool. There's they've got all sorts of templates prebuilt, but you can pull in your own artwork you can, if you make an IDVD, you know, it's holiday time, right? So let's say you take uh, the, the vacation that you took with the grandparents over the summer, right? You take all those pictures, you take all those movies, maybe you build the pictures into kind of a, a you know, a, a Ken Burns style movie going on. And then you take some of the little movies and you build like a beautiful little IDVD. Well, then you can pull some of that artwork and use it as your cover art, not not only on the cover of the jewel case, but right on the CD itself. It supports or the DVD itself. Rather, it supports just about every uh, printer out there and every style of paper and or, you know, sticker paper and all that good stuff. Uh, very, very cool stuff. It's available. Well, you can get a free trial at SmileSoftware.com. And then uh, it's $35.95, 36 bucks uh, minus a nickel when you uh, when you go in, and purchase it. And you know you're going to want to purchase it because that's just, I mean, how could you not? It's If you're using it, it's cool stuff. Anyway, that is, uh, that is Disc Label at smilesoftware.com. And we thank them for being a sponsor. And now we'd like to answer Tad's question. So let's answer.
1: Hey, John and Dave, uh, this is Tad. Uh, listen, I'm calling because I take a lot of photographs and I end up... Backing up my photographs to several different external hard drives, and every now and then I'll go through a hard drive and I'll kind of cull out some uh, photos that aren't so good and delete them. And then, uh, but then when I go to look at you know what I've got on each hard drive, we've got some that might have you know 150 files on it, another that has 120 files on it. And what I'd really like to be able to do is run a program. See if you guys are aware of anything like this that would just uh be able to compare the two folders and show me which files are different. So uh, let me know if you know of any program that that can run uh, that uh, so I can look at two folders on two different hard drives uh, you know that, that again one might have 150 files on it that are uh, similar to another one that might have hundred and 70 files. And I just want to know the 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 files that are on one that aren't on the other. So uh, thanks a lot. And this is where you cut me off.
0: All right, Ted, you know, so John, I always like to, when, when it's my job to answer one of these questions, I always like to find one answer, maybe two answers. And I, and I did that for Ted here, but I didn't stop there because we're a full service operation, man. So I, I got a third one and, and then I got a fourth one. And finally, just to round things out, I got a fifth one. So You're out of control. I am totally out of control. So we will start with actually we'll start with the geekiest thing that you can do because it's totally built into your Mac. No matter what you've done out of the gate, uh, your Mac can do this. But it requires going to the terminal and but it's pretty straightforward. It uses a terminal command called diff, D-I-F-F. Now, typically diff is built to compare two files back and forth and tell you what's different Uh, used a lot by script writers and programmers to see what, you know, what's different. Uh, But you can point it at directories too, and it works pretty much the same way. So you type diff space dash RQ and the R is the big one there because that tells it to look recursively. And that means it's going to parse the directory. So diff space dash RQ space, and then the path to the first directory and then the path to the second directory hit enter. And it will do exactly what Tad was asking for Requires going to the terminal, though. So, you know, not and it's, you know, it's terminal stuff. So it's doable, but it's not going to be pretty. Right. So then we move on to uh, number two, which I found at Mac OS 10 hints. You know, you install the developer tools or you could install Apple's developer tools. And most of us don't do that because we're not writing code for the Mac. And so there's no need to install all these uh, all these tools. And indeed, that's right for the most part. But there are some cool utilities that come along with the developer tools and the developer tools are free. The utilities, uh, if you go, if you've installed the developer tools inside developer and utilities is an app called uh, called file merge. And again, it's, you know, one of these things that's used to do one built to do one thing, but will uh, compare two folders. You you list one, you you put one in as file A and one in as file B and boom and it's all in a graphical interface and uh, and it comes up with a list of what's not in one and what's not in the other and you're good to go and it's available for free so that's that uh, there is another utility available for free number three uh, called Unison and uh, and that also does this it's now now we're getting into software actually I don't know if Unison's free or not I'm looking here but I think it is uh it is yeah it's it's a donationware so it's it's used to be a synchronization tool uh but you certainly can run it in a mode where it's not doing the synchronization but it is doing the comparisons uh so that's and we'll we'll link to that of course uh then over at apple site i found an automator workflow Uh, or an Automator plugin, rather, Automator Action, that's what they're called, Uh, called Compare Folders that does exactly this. So you could build your own app uh, inside Automator to do this. And then lastly, uh, there is a piece of software from InfiniteNexus.com called Compare Folders that does exactly what you might think. So hopefully with one of those options, you're going to be able to get these folders compared and contrasted and examined and Sort out their differences, because in these holiday times, sorting out differences is, is really the most important thing we can do, can't we, John? Uh, I'm going
2: to suggest one more, Dave. OK. <laughs> Good. As if we, we haven't already tipped the scale here, but um, there's another utility that I um, haven't used lately, but, um, but it's out there, and I just checked uh, called Tidy Up."
0: Oh, and that'll and do the description, this
2: too. And the description is as follows. Uh, it, it looks like it does. So the description, just a short description here with TidyUp. You can search your duplicate files and packages. So, so I think it's a little different, but but, uh, but from what I can see here, I think I think it may accomplish his goal as well. Um, but yeah, with TidyUp, you can search your duplicate files and packages by the owner, application, content type, creator, etc. Um, allows you to search your duplicate folders. Okay, that's in the description. So there you go. There you um, go. Uh, and this is from uh, is it hyperbolic software, and it looks like they uh, they may have a trial, so uh, could try that out as well This looks like a, a nice general utility just to uh, not only you know find duplicate folders but duplicate files anywhere on your hard drive of any type so um, cool between all of those, one of those has
0: to work uh, well, it has to that 's right all right, moving on Anand writes. Uh, I recall a while ago you were talking about a special mode which you could open iPhoto in, which would give you an option to reclaim the unused space held when the trash in iPhoto was emptied. Uh, I can't for the life of me recall what this option was. Could you recall? And I believe this one goes to you, my friend. Yes. So,
2: um, well, here's the answer, Dave. It's it's kind of an answer. Actually, the answer is, is easy, but I'm going to address what he was talking about. So there is... As with many of the iApps, there is a way to bring up uh, enhanced functionality. When you launch it, you hold down uh, either option or um, command, or maybe both. And in this case, and I tried this with iPhoto 11, and it does have a special mode here. I, I don't think it'll solve his problem. I'll, I'll answer the question in a moment. But what happens is if you hold down both option and command when you launch iPhoto, you will get a dialogue that... Mainly its purpose is to rebuild your photo library, which is something you may want to do. So I think that's what he's remembering when we talked about this. And it has an option, repair the iPhoto database, uh, redo the thumbnails, um, rebuild from a backup, rebuild, uh, recover orphan photos, and examine and repair the uh, file permissions. Um, so I think that's what he was thinking of. But as far as I know, Dave, the iPhoto trash, and we have mentioned it, the the bad news is that When you, in iPhoto, delete a file or a photo, it does not put it in the OS X trash. It puts it in a special area of iPhoto that is the iPhoto trash. And the thing is, unless you explicitly empty that trash, um, that's still taking up space on your disk. Right. And
0: I believe it's the... uh, And where is it here? Let me look. Um, It's in the file menu, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, well, it, might be nope. in, it might be in the iPhoto
2: it's in the, menu. It's a, yeah, and I have it right here in my notes okay. here. So in the iPhoto menu is an option saying empty iPhoto trash. Got it. And I think at, at one point uh, I had never done this, and I think I had several gigabytes of photos that I had deleted throughout the years and just never thought to look in that part of iPhoto um, in that menu to explicitly empty it. So I, I freed up gigabytes and gigabytes. So just a tip for anybody that uses iPhoto. Um, and deletes any of your photos, which you probably will, um, that's what you got to do.
0: So yep. two two answers in one, in one. question. That's kinda. right. Uh, down from six in the question. Prior. Right. We're, we're getting streamlined Sorry. here. That's right. So in the next question, we'll have zero answers, and it'll be totally efficient. Uh, <laughs> Mark writes, uh, also about iPhoto, I, I have a question for you about two Macs, both running Snow Leopard, trying to share photos over the Internet. My in-laws live in Florida and are not very computer savvy. I was hoping that as I uploaded family pictures to my iPhoto photo library, they could stream them down to their iPhoto library for local viewing and syncing to their Apple TV. I'm not sure if this could be a use for Dropbox or not. Okay, so my thoughts on this are. There was once uh, and I think still exists, the ability to subscribe to someone else's album You can post your album to mobile me and you can subscribe to it and and see it. But from what I remember, and I to be honest, I don't have an Apple TV and and I haven't tried this in a while. But from what I remember, the last time I did try this, you cannot that functionality only lets you see it inside iPhoto and it won't ever leave. So you couldn't sync it to an Apple TV or stream it out or anything like that. It was just kind of this. Just viewing it portal, but, but it didn't actually copy the pictures in and let you uh, do all the things that you normally can do with pictures that are yours. Yeah. It's, so, it's
2: in the file menu, actually subscribe to photo feed dot, dot, dot. Right. Um, and also I use iWeb, which publishes, I, I use that for publishing my photos and you can choose to actually have a, a link on your, um, now this requires mobile me as well. Right. Um, you can actually have a little icon up here saying, oh, subscribe to this feed. Um, right.
0: So, so, but that's, that's that, not, I don't think that's going to be the answer here unless they've significantly changed that, that functionality. Not, not for sharing photos. Yes. Okay. Uh, not
2: for getting it to the Apple TV though. I'm, 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 with you is that the two are, are separate. Cause I think it's just an RSS feed basically is what it's doing. It's subscribing
0: to. Right. So assuming that that's not going to work, uh, you know, there is functionality. If you're on the same local network, uh, you can see another, if, if you've, given each other sharing permissions from within iPhoto, uh, you can see each other's iPhoto libraries. And unlike iTunes, uh, you can copy photos back and forth between iPhoto libraries. So that, that would work if you were on the same local network, but of course you're not. And you want to do this over the internet. And I, and, and so I took your hint about Dropbox and started kind of playing around with it. And I think that's the answer. So, or that's the, the core of the answer. What I, what I would suggest here is sign up for Dropbox, right? And you can both sign up. And and sign up individually, get your own accounts, but then go and create a folder in your Dropbox that's called, uh, you know, photos to Florida or whatever it is. Right. And then have them invite them and you do this via the Dropbox Web interface, invite them to be part of that folder. Once you've done that and set it up, anything you put in that folder will automatically be synced to the same folder on their computer and vice versa. Right. It is a completely shared folder including deletions. So if you put something in and they take it out, it's gone from your computer too, though Dropbox keeps a 30 day backup online. But but essentially, you know, it's a shared uh, common resource that anybody that has access to it can add or remove things from. So set that up. And then on your end, take the pictures you want to send to them and copy them from your iPhoto library into this special magic folder. On their end, set up either a folder action Or use something like our friend Hazel uh, to monitor that folder and then import its contents into a specific album inside iPhoto. And I think Hazel would probably be the simplest way to do this, but you certainly could set up a folder action and, and build a little, you know, automator or whatever you wanted to do. Uh, And then that'll do it right. Anytime you put a picture in Dropbox will take care of syncing that picture to their computer as soon as it arrives. Well, then Hazel or your folder action goes and grabs it and imports it into iTunes. And you could even have, you know, Hazel and I would do this, have it remove the picture from the folder so that the folder doesn't just fill up. And that way, once it's there, boom, it's done. It's off your computer. You know, it's good to go because you know that once it disappears from your computer, that means Hazel did its job on the other end. No ifs, ands or buts about it. And uh, and then you should be good to go. So I think that could be a pretty slick little little solution to this and, and give you some flexibility that that you might not otherwise have. So, that's yeah, my man. thought. I, li- I like the photos folder in Dropbox. That's. Uh,
2: kind of a Do nice you use that? Way. Well, the the last I used that. So, so Dropbox has a number of folders. Um, I think documents, photos and public are the three that, that everybody gets when you have a Dropbox account. And the photos folder last I used, if you put photos in there, yeah. you will then, I think you can get a URL to that. And what happens is if somebody goes to that with a browser, it actually has, I think, like a nice little photo viewer from a browser. Oh. So it's not just huh. meant, for it, it, it's smart enough to say, oh, well, these are photos. And, right. and if you go with the browser, I'm going to display these to you in a in a nice way. So that's a, a nice little... Oh. Uh feature of Dropbox as well. So um, I don't think there's a way to automate it. You know, you'd have to send the URL to, uh, mm. you know, manually. Uh, so it's a, it's a manual process, but, uh, but Dropbox, uh, you know, th- uh, I think that's a nice special feature. That's uh, pretty
0: cool. Cool. All right. Uh, Joe has a question. It's about notes and his iPhone and his Mac. He says, I can almost always create a note on my iPhone using the notes app. And when I sync the phone with my Mac, I won't see it in the notes section of mail. I say almost always because it worked for me once after I turned off notes in the email uh, section and then turned it back on. Yesterday, I took it to the genius bar and exactly the same thing happened again. It worked when she turned notes off and on. Uh, but it did I didn't stay at the genius bar long enough to realize that it only worked that one time. I did also realize after I left that it only sent her the most recent note made on my iPhone to my MacBook Pro and not a few others that were created on the iPhone earlier. I have since deleted and reinitialized the email account, and the same thing happens. I wonder if you can repeatedly create a note on your iPhone and have it appear in the notes section of mail. Uh, I even took the exciting step a week or so ago to nuke the iPhone and totally reinitialize it. Same thing still happens. I have upgraded very recently to iOS four two one, thinking that would solve the problem, but the problem remains. I've also tried unchecking Sync Notes in the other section under the Info tab in iTunes and uh, trying this, but it doesn't seem to matter whether Sync Notes box is checked or not. By the way, if I create or modify a note uh, on the Mac in Mail and resync all as well, so this is a one way deal. I was able to delete a note on my iPhone and have it deleted on my Mac, so something is working. Any thoughts? Okay. So uh, what it's cool, this notes thing uh, is actually pretty cool and it works a couple of different ways Uh, inside Apple's mail app. You have notes and inside the notes app on your iPhone, iPad, iPod touch, uh, you have notes and you can sync these uh, one of three ways. Number one is over USB when you sync with iTunes Uh, What you do is you go into, once the device is connected to your Mac, you click on the device in iTunes, go to the info tab. And as uh, Joe talked about, check the box that says sync notes with this device. You can also, if you go on your iPhone uh, into settings, into uh, mail, contacts, calendars, uh, and or accounts rather, and then edit the account. Uh, for either your mobile me or an IMAP account. So, pop and exchange do not fall under this, but mobile me or IMAP. Uh, you can turn on, there's a little slider where you can turn notes syncing on. You can also then do the same thing if you go on your Mac into mail, you go to preferences, and inside the preference window, uh, you'll see you go to accounts. And then inside that, on Advanced Options, you'll see a little, or Account Options, you'll see a little checkbox that says Sync Notes. So, uh, you sync these notes, and it works really, really well, because you can sync over the air, either with MobileMe or an IMAP account. We'll see. I I don't know which way uh, Joe was doing this. And I'm going to pause here, because it, it sounds like we have lost... Mr. Braun. And so I'm going to bring him back. All right. So Mr. Braun is back. John, I'm not sure where you uh, left off, but I was in the midst of answering Joe's question when when you dropped out and uh, and basically had gone through just the uh, kind of the the overview of how you can sync. So you can either sync over iTunes USB or over the air with MobileMe or an IMAP email account. And when you go into mail, you'll see a notes section appear if there are notes there. And if, if you have a little triangle next to it, you can twist that and you can see what notes are on my Mac. It's just like your inbox, your drafts box, your outbox, your sent, or whatever Uh, you twist that open. You'll see on my Mac and then you'll see your other email accounts listed. And you can see the notes that are stored on one account versus another. I choose to store my notes with my Gmail account. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you have, like, let's say you're using your, an exchange account for mail at work and you can't, you know, that won't allow you to sync notes and you don't want another mail account on your iPod or whatever. Well, you can go and just go get a free Gmail account. If you don't have mobile me, go get a free Gmail account. And then on your iPod, iPod touch, whatever, uh iPhone, iPad, iDevice, you go in And set up the account and then go into settings on again on the uh, iDevice and turn mail off for your Gmail account and turn notes on. So you're only using it for notes syncing. Uh, And that way you're not mucking around with with other bits of mail and and all that stuff. So it sounded like for Joe, it sounds like you've got uh, USB syncing happening, but it's not happening the way you want. My advice would be try it over the air because it's probably going to work better for you anyway, because you don't need to sync to get the notes in in both places. So that's my thought. Uh, but I don't have a magic answer. Uh, we don't really know which way you're trying. Your email made it sound kind of like you were doing it one way first and then another. So I wasn't wasn't entirely sure. Do you do the notes thing at all, John?
2: You know, I just looked in mail and I, and I have some, but um, the, they're. Quite dated. I think okay. some of them I took on my iPod touch.
0: I think some of them I may have recorded on my Mac. So, uh, okay. Yeah. I'll have to revisit that. A, a cool app that I I've actually, I, you know, I use the notes thing and it's gotten better with the syncing lately, but I, I've, I've gotten in the habit of using something called simple note. And, uh, and it's a, a free app that you can download for your iDevice. And then it's also a, 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 a web service and I don't think it's SimpleNote.com. We'll put it, we'll put a link in the show notes. It's somewhere. It's a, it's a Google code project, um, but it works really, really well. And the cool part is it syncs over the air instantly. So you can edit a note on your iPad and then immediately it lives in the cloud and you can see it on your iPhone you can see it, you know, on your, uh, on your desktop, you know, just in a web browser. So it works really well. And, and I've been using simple note for a while and I love it. It's just, again, very, very, very simple. a little bonus to throw in there. Anything else on this one before we move on, John? Nope. All right. Uh, I do want to talk about our second sponsor, which is Circus Ponies. Now, Circus Ponies makes Notebook. Notebook is an app that allows you to pull in various bits of information about specific topics. And you pull them into something that, no surprise, looks like a white-lined notebook. At least that's what it starts out looking like but you can make it look so much more because you can type text in and you can do it, you know, you can tab in and build like a little indented hierarchy and pull all kinds of stuff in. But then you can also drag in pictures. You can drag in PDFs. You can drag in uh, scanned documents and have it convert them with optical character recognition from a scan to an editable document. Uh, And you can tag this stuff. You can add stickies to it. You can, you know, make little notes. And then when, you know, so let's say your are uh, well, your Christmas list is a perfect little notebook to build. Right. So, you know, you can have a page for each person. Uh, you can pull in an, a link to, uh, you know, Amazon where you're going to buy it, a picture of, of the, the items. You pull them all in. You can build a little to do list and check off what who you've already bought for and who you haven't. And you've got it all in there. And and then you can search inside your notebook for. The, uh, you know, for whatever you, you remember about what it is you're looking for. So you can say, gosh, you know, I know I found a gift last Thursday and I can't remember who I found it for, but I, man, I think John would also really, really like this, but I can't remember what, what, you know, what it was right now. That'd be strange, but you could do that and you could search for what did I do last Thursday? And it's going to tell you what you did last Thursday and bam, you'll find it. And then, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. John would really, really like this special little swing that I set up, uh, would you like a swing, John? Um, I don't know if I have a <laughs> lot of room.
2: All right, no, the the neighbors have a
0: have one, so I'll I'll use theirs. You use theirs. Well, okay, let me scratch that off the list. See? And then you can edit it and uh and I'm good to go. So, this is Circus Ponies notebook. Uh it is available at circusponies.com for uh 5 cents less than 50 bucks. It's 49.95. There is an academic license for 29.95, but of course, you can download a free trial. And that's what I recommend you do. Uh, in addition, there is an iPad app coming for this. And I've, I've seen screenshots from it. I haven't played with the app, so I can't really talk a whole lot about uh, how it works, but I can tell you how it looks and it looks awesome. So, uh, so keep an eye out for that. It, my guess is it's one of these things that we'll, you know, see soon, uh, maybe even before the end of the year. So for you circus ponies fans, that's, or for you notebook fans, that's uh That's the news I have for you. All right. Moving on. We got a lot of questions about RAM and SSDs and even combining RAM and SSDs. So we've combined them all into a little section for you here. And uh, we call it our RAM SSD section for December 6, 2010. It wasn't really that creative, but, uh, you know, it's descriptive and clear. Chris, take it away.
3: Hey, guys. My name is Chris. I'm calling from Victoria, B.C., up here in Canada. Uh, I have a late... To a mid-19 um, or 2008 uh, MacBook white, uh, not the unibody. Uh, my model identifier is MacBook 4,1, which means I'm eligible for the 6 gigabyte thing. And uh, So I've ordered the kit uh, through a link on your website. My question is, uh, does a person in my situation go for DDR2 or DDR3 when it comes to RAM? Uh, I'm getting opinions like crazy on this, so I thought I'd bring it down to you guys and let you make my final decision. Uh, if you need to contact me, it's...
0: all right. We'll take it from there, John. You'll take it from there.
2: And you know, this is not a matter of opinion, Dave. That this this is this is based on the facts. That's how we. Like it I'm going to tell read. you, and I'm going to tell you how I got the facts. And now I'm glad that Chris actually gave us the model identifier because that is an important distinction here. Sure. So. What I use, there, there are a number of places you can get information about the memory used. You know, you can go to the Apple spec database and stuff. What I use, Dave, is, uh, and we mentioned it recently, Mac Tracker. Oh, yeah. Love that thing. Mac Tracker is awesome. And fortunately, Mac Tracker has both a list of all of the models of the MacBook that were made in 2008, including the model identifiers and the memory. And as it turns out, in uh, 2008, there were three models. There was the early 2008 and late 2008 both of which have the mac four one identifier, and then there was another machine which I think is why he was getting opinions here um, which is the I think it was the first aluminum uh, late uh, so that's also a late two thousand eight machine, so that's where you could get the confusion but that's a five comma one machine so the answer is as follows Dave is is um the earlier the machine that he has takes pc two 5300 667 megahertz memory okay the, other machine the the uh the uh, unibody one which is the macbook 5 comma 1 that takes pc 3 dash 8500 1066 megahertz so to me the answer is clear you want to get the pc 2 dash 5300 memory because based on what i know the two are not interchangeable uh, i think they actually have a different physical form factor uh but i don't think it would work anyways so and, and he actually got back to us and said, thank you very much. Now, I, I would advise that you do get this memory from a knowledgeable uh, a Mac uh, savvy vendor. And, yes. you know, uh, OWC or Crucial, I think, were, would be two fine choices. And I, I think he used one or the other. So, yeah, that is the answer. But anybody who has a Mac, get Mac Tracker, because uh, it
0: certainly helped me answer this question without ripping my hair out. That's a good thing, because you want to keep all the hair that you have. <laughs> well still, still got a bit we want to save that hair for the questions that we really do need to tear our hair out for see yes. we're we're banking it is what we're doing yeah that's right uh all right um so next on the ram front is a question from bush and he writes i have a question i can't say i recently updated my i recently purchased the new 13 inch macbook air and when doing so chose the 4 gig memory upgrade my question is this does it even matter? Two gigs versus four gigs with onboard flash storage, i.e., SSD, is paging really going to have any detrimental effects on system performance? With SSDs attaining these amazing read/write speeds, will the need for RAM go to the wayside, or is there something I'm missing here? All right, uh, go ahead, John. You're oh,
2: on a roll. I I answered. Uh, I'm I'm rolling, brother. Um, so I answered it via Twitter, but but I did a bit of research here and. The thing is, I'm glad that he got the 4 gigs because, yes, it does make a difference. Why does it make a difference? And so I researched this. So the, the MacBook Air, as far as I can tell, takes DDR3 1066 megahertz RAM. And uh, if if Wikipedia is to be believed, and then this sounds about right, but the throughput on that type of memory, uh, that they say it's 17,066 megabytes per second. That's pretty fast. That That's pretty darn fast because this is... Uh, ram versus flash I, I think it's SRAM or static ram okay but you're talking two fundamentally different types of memory because of course the memory in the mac when power goes away the the data goes bye-bye and of course right. on the ssd it doesn't and then i i looked and, and poked around and, and i got a rough estimate that the throughput on the ssd is about 250 megabytes per second
0: i'd say that's probably on the top end that's that's a on the, really on the top end. really good yeah. ssd performance attainable but but uh, certainly mm-hmm. the top end of what's available these days yeah
2: right so basically my answer is so what you're talking here is a not quite you know maybe more, a more 60, than an order of
0: magnitude right
2: almost two order of magnitude being a difference of uh, times 10 right in this case i did the math and you know comes out to maybe about 70 Okay. You know, so so the RAM, uh, the MacBook, uh, the the MacBook Air RAM is about 70 times faster than the SSD RAM. Okay. So my answer is, you would suffer. Uh, you would, uh, I think, notice it. Not not as much as if you had a mechanical hard drive, but I think it would be noticeable once you hit that two gig threshold and it starts swapping out to the uh, to the SSD. Yeah, so d- he made he made the right choice. I would not get one of those machines with two gigs. To, to me, unless you're just
0: running, you know, doing lightweight stuff, two gigs is is too little. I, I I would agree with you. Yeah, and and it's you know as someone who runs an SSD, it, it paging is way faster once you're on an SSD versus a regular drive. But it it yeah, I mean I it you still it still exists. It's still a, an issue, and obviously you pointed out the speeds perfectly. So do do you notice it? Um, you know actually, so so this is a good question because we've now talked about the technical. Parts of it where, yes, tech, you know, the RAM is definitely faster than the SSD. Uh, do I notice it? You know, to be honest, I really don't. And I page out quite a bit. Uh, you know, I, I'll constantly look and realize that I'm, you know, many gigs into swap without without noticing any detrimental effects. So. So, yeah, it it um, the the net difference is not that much, although. I have not compared that to say doubling my Ram and seeing what happens. Right. I mean, it's, it it's so much faster than it was using a hard drive, a mechanical hard drive that I don't, that the, the paging impact is, is, has been reduced to something that appears to be negligible, but I don't really know if it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah. So, you know, there's the, um,
2: the numbers, Right, which as as we've seen, you know, there, there's a you know clear difference in the speed that you you know of the memory, but maybe to his question, maybe you answered it, and I didn't have to do all this. Is well, that a, you know, it's it's a sub, you know, your subjective, right, experience is that you don't notice it now with a mechanical hard drive. I certainly <gasps> notice it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see the lights coming on. You know, with something like iStat menus, right? I'll see the read and write activity happening, and when that when that starts happening. Uh, too often, I'll look, and, and yes, it's starting to
0: create a swap file. That's right. That's right. But, you know, there there is another aspect to this that serendipitously Joe commented on, and, uh, and so we'll play that now.
3: Hey, guys. Joe here from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, we're just listening to show 297 uh, where you were talking about uh, swap files and then talking about the SSDs. Uh, and things of that nature, and and something occurred to me that I've never heard anybody address before. Uh, the the SSDs are are uh, basically limited use uh, type type RAM devices, um, and and I don't know the ratings of the, of the current generation of SSDs, but you know ten thousand or a hundred thousand rewrite cycles, uh, and they they pretty much quit working. So. For, for regular file saving and, and things of that nature, that's not a big deal. But in that discussion of the, the files, uh, swap file uh, situation, it occurs to me that you know, a flash-based uh, memory, as in the, in the SSDs, is not well suited for that. Uh, which has ramifications then not only for some of the you know, MacBook Airs, uh, but uh, possibly for, for things like iPads and stuff. I'm assuming it uses a, a similar, if not identical, uh, type scheme. So, uh, curious if you guys have looked into that at all. Uh, maybe it'd be uh, uh, you know, worth a discussion to, uh, to see what, what folks' experiences or thoughts might be on that. Keep up the good work, uh, and we'll talk about you
0: later. Bye. Thanks, Joe. So yeah, Joe's Joe's right. Just to clarify, SSDs in theory have unlimited read abilities, meaning you can read from them uh, an unlimited amount of times. But each sector, for lack of a better, for each cell uh, on the SSD right. is has a limited number of writes. Meaning once you've written to it and passed that limit. You're going to hit a point at which it will no longer accept a write. You can still get the data that's in the cell. You just can't write to it anymore. And the drives have different ways of dealing with this and write leveling, so that you're not reading, reading, and writing to and from one cell more than you are another, and kind of you know balancing things around. That's that's at least that's what I understand. I don't know. I've never built an SSD, nor have I deconstructed one and and looked at the uh, yeah, the circuit board.
2: That sounds right, and, yep. and I did a quick look, and, and 100,000 is, I think, an accepted, a, a good rough figure per cell. So okay. we're talking per cell, per not cell. the number of times you can write to the drive, in which case I think you chew that up pretty quickly. So. Right.
0: But the important thing to note, and I, I recall this when SSDs were first hitting the market, uh, and I'm sure it's just as true, if not more true now, is that, yes, we know that there is this fixed limit on the number of rights an SSD can take. So essentially it comes out of the box and you know that there's a point at which it's going to fail. Uh, we know that about hard drives too. We just don't know when, uh, but we can guarantee that every single mechanical drive will fail at some point. It has moving parts, uh, the platter, you know, there, there's various things that are going to go wrong and degrade uh, inside a mechanical drive. And from what I remember hearing that, Uh, in general, the SSDs were going to outlive their mechanical counterparts. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, yes, there, there is, there is a valid concern in using any device for swap, right? Mechanical or, or, or or flash RAM, you know, any device where you're constantly doing this, it is going to cause wear on it. Uh, You're better off not having to swap out as we, you know, talked about before. So, Yes, it, it is detrimental, but not so much that it's worth worrying about it if you were gonna swap out to a to a mechanical drive anyway. That's my that's my feeling on it. Yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. All huh? right. Sweet. Uh all right, okay, uh Johnny writes I got a new eleven inch MacBook Air. Maybe the best laptop I've ever owned. I really missed my old 12-inch G4 PowerBook, but the Air is way, way better. However, I noticed in the energy preferences and system preferences uh, that it has the option to put hard drive to sleep. Does this option actually do anything? Can you put an SSD drive to sleep? So I did a little research and actually I'd done this research before when I got my SSD for at first, because it wasn't built into my Mac. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing anything to it that was going to break it. Uh, And the answer is that, yeah, you you can put an SSD to sleep, but it's different when you put a mechanical drive to sleep, it actually spins it down. Whereas with an SSD, it just goes into a lower power mode and it takes a second to kind of wake itself back up. And it's not quite a second, actually it's much faster than that. But Yes, you can put an SSD to sleep. The reality, though, from what I understood and understand, is that the power requirements, the difference in power requirements between you know active and sleep modes, are somewhat negligible. They're there, and it's definitely good to leave the box checked, but it's not going to make a huge, huge difference. But um, but you know, it it while we're talking about SSDs and power. John, I remember we came across this again a couple of years back Uh, there. The uh, my assumption going into the SSDs was that, oh, this is going to be great. My battery life will increase because I'm not powering this stupid motor to spin a hard drive uh, platter anymore. And in the end, it turned out, well, you know, SSDs tend to use as much and sometimes even more power than their mechanical uh, brethren. Or mechanical cousins, I guess I should say, if I'm mixing the metaphor properly. (laughs) Right. And have you heard that as well, John?
2: I I was looking quickly and uh, I found a few articles that that show that the power consumption can be equivalent or uh, I didn't see anything showing it's greater, but it certainly can be the same power consumption, same level.
0: Yeah. A couple of a couple of watts. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so it would be cool if it was a lot less. That would uh, that would make life a lot easier, but uh, it's not. Although you know, maybe is it possible that in the MacBook Air it is because it's not an SSD drive per se. I mean, it 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 you're not going through a SATA interface, or maybe you are. I don't I don't know, but you know they 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 don't have it in a typical drive enclosure, right? They've kind of spread the chips out to keep the thing thin. So you can't just pop a uh, um, you can't pop another drive in there. There's no, well, there's no real way to do that with third party stuff. Although there was one company offering to do it and, uh, and Apple shut them down, posted an article on that at TMO last week, which was, Mm -hmm. which was weird to me, but you know, is what it is. So I don't know. I don't know if that would make any difference at all, but worth, it's worth postulating considering. Hypothesizing. Uh, So last we mentioned that, of course, our last episode was 301, which is a premium episode. And we have been putting uh, into this feed, this the standard feed, anytime there's a premium episode. uh, When we first started it, we weren't putting anything in the feed and we started getting all, all kinds of emails saying, oh, did I miss a show? What happened? There's something wrong with the feed. I didn't get show number X. And so we decided to start putting just a little, you know, short little one minute kind of thing, saying, "Hey, yep, we we just recorded three or one. Don't worry, you didn't. uh, You know, there's nothing wrong with the feed. This was intentional. It's part of the premium deal, and that worked out. Uh, That that's been working out fine. Uh, But you know, if we're going to record something, and always, I always like to, you know, we we're here to impart knowledge, right? Either knowledge that we possess, that we find, or or that you you folks share. And so what we've been doing for those of you that have been skipping those uh, is that we've been taking one bit of knowledge that we shared in the uh, premium show. And we've been sharing that in the little, now it's probably about a two minute uh, podcast, but there's something there. So you're getting some value out of it. And the thing that we shared was that uh, pages documents are zip files. And I I won't go through it because if you've heard three Oh one, you've, you've heard it all, but that was a little bit that was uh, that was shared. And everybody heard it, both on the premium side and on the regular side. The rest of the premium show, of course, is left for the premium people. Twenty five bucks, six months. You not only get the extra content, but you get the, uh, of course, warm, fuzzy feeling, which is something we're all after this time of year of uh, of helping to support your two favorite geeks. So we got a couple of comments about this. And Rick wrote in and said on the quick tip on version 301 uh, or episode 301, you mentioned that. The .pages file was actually a .zip file, which was a great tip. But there's some added info. The file being a zip file is only true in the 09 version of iWork. I have the 08 version and files are still folders. Additionally, you must have the include preview box checked when you save the file in the output dialog uh, in order for this to work. And of course, that's true. That is checked by default. Uh, and then you can dig in and find that little preview PDF as we described. Scott had another comment, John, and I'm pulling it up here. Scott said, uh, you mentioned that the pages file is also a zip file, but did you know that the word dot uh, period D O C X file is also a zip file? If you save the file with save new file with previews checked in preferences, save inside Microsoft word, You'll also be able to find a PDF to view on any system. So this can be done with the new word format. Uh, Unfortunately, Apple did not invent this since Microsoft did it first. You can say that Apple does it better, but since I don't use pages, I will leave that argument up to others. So thank you for that, uh, that wisdom, Scott. And now of course we've got the, we've got the whole crowd fighting amongst themselves again. (laughs) Anything to add here, John? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, think about something to add. No. Uh, we got, see, we got more, more stuff. Well, we have more stuff. But see, usually when I throw something to you like that and I really ask, it's me saying, hey, man, I've been talking for a while and I need a break to get a, a sip of tea. Ah, you see, I So see. that's like our code word. Now, I know we've been doing this five and a half years. So you'd think we would have worked this stuff out at some point off air, uh, but we have not. So here, here's we are. But I've already had my tea. See, I, I had a quick sip. Uh, and I'm ready to get back. I have tea it. too. Uh, oh, it's all gone. Green tea. Tea okay. for two, two for tea, tea for you, you for me, for me. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Uh, next, I want to talk about our, our third sponsor for the show, which is uh, go to assist from Citrix. Yep. The same people that bring you everything else that Citrix brings the, uh, you know, web meetings and all that good stuff uh, is go to assist express. We've talked about this many times. Hopefully we'll keep talking about it here. We definitely appreciate them and all the rest of our sponsors. Uh, Go to assist express is a way of remote controlling another person's computer. It can be another Mac or a windows machine. Uh, And the cool part is the person on the other end does not have to pre-install anything or really know much at all about computers in order to let you in. Uh, Let's say you get a phone call from a new client and or a potential new client and they say, hey, I've got this problem on my computer. Uh, You know, I want to know if you think you can fix it. And they describe it and you say, wow, gosh, you know, this operator game isn't going anywhere. Tell you what, let me into your machine for two minutes. Let me take a look at it. And then I can tell you if I can fix it. And of course, you can work out the uh, billing arrangements at that point. So you tell them, go and visit this little URL in their web browser, right? So they Type in the URL and it says, hey, the dude on the phone with you wants to connect to your computer. Do you want to let him? And you say yes or they say yes. And then, boom, you're in. You can see, but they can see what you're doing, too. So, you know, there's there's no trust issues or anything like that. Uh, And it just works. You've got your keyboard, your mouse, you're controlling them they didn 't have to do anything funky they didn 't have to reprogram their router they didn 't have to you know bow to the moon and hold their leg at the right angle and wave to the sun. There was none of that. There were no chickens involved, no goats were hurt in the in the process of doing this, and yet you were able to get in and see their uh, computer screen so it 's awesome a great way to grow your business uh, if you 're a computer consultant and of course these time this time of year, even if you 're not a consultant, many of you have become consultants and will become consultants as uh, of course. You know, the uh, the new computers arrive to either replace or add to the old ones at the uh, for Christmas and all the uh, various and sundry holidays that we have going on this time of year. So uh, as people flood the economy with all these new purchases of computers, they're going to need to flood uh, you with phone calls and and need requests for help. So if you go to go to assist slash geek. You can try this out for 30 days free, which gets you sailed through sell sail you through the holiday uh season here. So go to assist.com slash geek, gets it free for 30 days, and then uh and then you know, uh you could go from there. You gotta put in your credit card number to uh to do it, but you can cancel and it no matter when you cancel, you still get your full 30 days for free. So uh you could sign up and cancel immediately and still use it for 30 days if you uh if you don't want to worry about forgetting oh yeah i got my card on file i gotta you know gotta do that so you gotta put one in but you can you can go and bail out right away if you uh if you still want to test it out for 30 days chances are if you wind up using it you're going to go buy it anyway and they know that which is why they're totally willing to let you do that but when you're ready to come back you just flip the switch and off they go go to assist.com slash geek uh back to scott i think it's a different scott and it's about maintenance scripts don uh Scott writes, I've got an Intel MacBook running 10.6.5 Snow Leopard, and the other day I thought I'd check to see when my maintenance scripts had last ran, as I felt my Mac was running a little sluggish. To my surprise, the daily script had last run back in May of this year, and the weekly and monthly have never run. I checked this by going into Terminal and typing ls-al-var-log-star.out. And this only showed that the log file for the daily script was there. I've done a little research on this and I've seen it stated that if a script isn't able to run at the appointed time overnight at 3 a.m., then it will do so the next time the machine wakes. But clearly this is not the case in this instance. To clarify, the laptop is powered off every night. So why aren't my scripts auto running? What would happen in the long run if they continued not to run? And is there any way I can find out why they're not running? I know I could manually set them by going through Onyx, but I want to know why OS 10 isn't behaving as it should. So this is going to be a fun little tour here, John, because we had a pre-show discussion about a lot of this. But uh, but why don't you kick it off?
2: Yeah, so my understanding was the same. And I, and I think I, I did something similar. Uh, some Someone on Twitter had said, oh, you know, the, this uh, command that he mentioned, this LS command, is one way to look at when the scripts were run. You know, it shows you the date of those output files, the, the result of the job. And I'm like, oh, let me try that on my MacBook. And I had pretty much the same experience. I looked, and it said they were all run in May. I'm like, what? Now I use my MacBook in a similar way. Is that it is? Uh, I believe these scripts are, are typically scheduled to run at three three in the morning, right? And my Mac is uh, MacBook Pro is rarely on at three in the morning. I'm usually sleeping. I'm like, what the heck? So, you know, I, I decided to, to get our friend uh, Onyx a run. So I ran Onyx, and uh, they have a section in Onyx. You go to maintenance, and then you go to scripts, and it showed me the same thing. It'll show you, uh, you know, checkbox for each one of the jobs. There's, you know, daily, weekly, and monthly. And it showed me the same thing. It said May is the the last time this was run. I was like, oh, man. So I... I Ran onyx, uh, and they have a button that will run these scripts for you. And it ran them. Um, I don't think there was really much to clean up. My understanding, Dave, I think is what, what these do is uh, I think they pretty much remove, uh, or archive, uh, or you know, compress stuff on the hard drive. Uh, I, I don't think there's a performance issue if you don't run these, but I think there's a, a disk space, uh, issue if well, you
0: don't run these. Well, I. <laughs> No, I think there's some cache file cleanup that happens not with the daily oh, script but, okay. but I'm, with I'm monthly with, yes. and possibly even weekly. Yeah. No, there it, 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 you know, if you let it go for a little while it's not going to be a big deal, but but yeah, there, there I think there's some cache files that build up that it wipes out uh um on, okay. on those. So, yeah.
2: I'm with you. So what I said was true is disks uh, yeah, is that that is disk space, but but yeah, a, a stale or old cache can certainly uh, or corrupted cache can certainly uh, impact performance. Right. Now, I don't know, Dave, because, and then you started going down the path of um, identifying the, uh, the actual commands that are run to do this. And I believe you led me towards, and, and maybe you want to take the, uh, sure. I'll hand the baton to you here, but there are actually, you can find the commands uh, buried within, I think it's in the system folder, and, and I'll let you take it, that are supposed to run these things.
0: Yeah, that's right. So these run from launch D, which we've talked about uh, more often recently in the show than, than than previously Launch D is the granddaddy of, of all processes in, in uh, snow leopard. And it manages all of the stuff that runs or is supposed to run or is scheduled and all of that. And typically it works really, really well. Uh, You can go and look, if you look in, The system folder, so go to the root of your hard drive, go to system, go to library, and go to launch demons, which is D-A-E-M-O-N-S, with a capital D, a capital L. Uh, This folder has all kinds of things in it, and just because it's here does not mean that it is set to run the one you're the one you're looking for there's three you're looking for one each for daily weekly and monthly and they're called com.apple.periodic-daily.plist or replace daily with weekly or monthly uh, but these files should be here now you can tell launchd to go ahead and load them it's possible that on your your machine john that launchd for whatever reason at some point stopped loading them and now they're marked as disabled and so launchd isn't firing them off the cool part about D, like, uh, you know, like our, our our listener Scott pointed out, is that if your machine's not on when the scripts are supposed to run, it will run them when it comes on. Now, that wasn't the case in the past when we were using a previous engine called Cron to do this. If it wasn't on when the Cron was supposed to trigger, it never happened. So if your machine was always asleep at 3 a.m., you know, you'd, you'd run into exactly the situation you're having. But D is supposed to solve that. So assuming that launch D is working properly, and if it wasn't, I would have to think you'd be having, uh, you you know, you'd be unable to use your Mac, but eh, I could be wrong. Uh, But assuming it's working, you can tell launch D to run it. Now, it's kind of a crazy command. It's sudo because you have to be root. So S-U-D-O and then a space and then launch C-T-L, L-A-U-N-C-H-C-T-L and then a space and then load as you want to load this thing and then a space and then dash W. And that dash W means enable it and run it, even if it's marked as disabled. And then the path, the full path to that P list file. So, you know, slash system slash library slash launch demons slash com dot Apple dot periodic dash daily dot P list. In theory, that should solve your problem, John. And I'm curious if it does. And and I, I would uh, as a test, I, I would say only do it for one of them and, you know, do it for the daily one. Uh, And see if the daily one runs, but the weekly one still kind of lags behind. Uh, That, that would be, that would be my, uh, that would be my advice there is, is to, to try that. Uh, But this is, yeah, this is a very interesting thing. Now you can manually run the the scripts from the command line and it's actually a much easier command. You still need to do sudo S U D O and -hmm. then a space. And then the word periodic P E R I O D I C and then a space and then either daily weekly or monthly or all three, you can do daily space, weekly space, monthly, and it'll go and run them all uh, and, and just get everything done all at once. So, so that is possible, but, uh, but launch D should be doing it. And my guess is that for whatever reason, and we may never know the reason uh, launch D disabled, uh, or these were disabled inside launch D. So it's just not running them anymore.
2: That's my, yeah, I don't know. And, and I checked the uh, boat well on my leopard machine. Uh, yeah. It's a different story.
0: That that would be a different story there. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, I had one that hadn't run since two thousand eight. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think I, I should get Onyx, and uh, I, uh, you know, I think I'm what I'm going to do is write a uh, a script to run Onyx to then run these. Files.
0: <laughs> that sounds really I mean, smart. Like that Yeah, maybe, and yeah. then wrap that script inside an Automator action. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh,
2: yeah, I'll I'll, I'll say that, uh. I'll, I'll let you know because I, I i don't recall what i did to tell the machine not to run these anymore and it's funny because yeah as you you know you checked and then yours are, are pretty much up to date
0: so. yeah on on all of the machines that i checked here they are including one that is rarely awake overnight uh it was up to date you know all within the last week all three had run because we had both monthly weekly and then of course daily uh coming around so yeah i'm curious to hear if if Simply running that one command solves this for you, John. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, um, I, I, I'm going to skip the, uh, the volumes thing for this one, John. I think that's good for a future show because it's probably going to be an in-depth conversation. We've gone pretty in depth on a couple things, but let, let's go to Chris. Uh, I like this one. Mostly I like it because you, uh, you answered it for us, John, but, uh, <laughs> Chris, Chris writes, I have a question on wireless networks and mucking with them that, Semi-regularly. Let me throw out a few things and then bring them together. At home, I have a Linksys WRT54GS router hooked into my cable modem. I get a very nice 15 to 18 megabit per second download if I am at my desktop or on my laptop in the next room. However, if I move to the next room over and past the kitchen, my speed drops drastically to one megabytes or so. I heard in a long ago show where you were discussing using travel routers and hotel rooms for using iDevices and you mentioned the TrendNet travel router as well as the Airport Express can either be used in some way to boost the Wi-Fi signal from the Linksys. I'd like to keep the connection wiring simple and cheap as I'd like to be using the travel router both hooked in and disconnecting for use on the road. Is there something else I haven't thought of? I looked at power line adapters, but they're fairly pricey. I suppose I could run an Ethernet line down the hall, but that's kind of ugly. And to run it along the walls would actually call it be over 100 feet of line. Is there a maximum length for Ethernet line? All right. Uh, John, this is yours. Here we go.
2: So one, uh, we're talking RF here, radio frequency. And and right. it's kind of like black magic. I mean, who the heck knows how <laughs> it works? You know, it's invisible. It's, Please, it's flying through the air. But I suspect that for whatever reason, he's got something in one of those walls that upsets RF. And when I, you're
0: talking I know frequencies, what it is what he mentioned the kitchens in between when I was doing this stuff for people back in, uh, in, well we were in Texas, when I was doing a lot of it, it Mm -hmm. was either the refrigerator or the central air conditioning, either the, the, the main unit or the duct work would always blow up wireless network signals Ah. So, okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, And some of the things that upset, uh, wireless at those frequencies are metal and liquids. So he's either got lots of metal or lots of liquids or maybe both. Uh, or it could be something else who right. knows, but the, the thing is he's getting a degraded signal. Right. Uh, the, the quick answer to is one of these, um, you know, extenders uh, I think he called it or, or what did he call it here? The, um, you know, one of these portable travel routers. The thing is those you, you can operate them in a uh, WDS thing where it does kind of act as a repeater, but since he's the, the signal kind of sucks already I, I'm going to think that that's not going to help because it's basically just going to be taking a signal that sucks and, and relaying it. Okay. Yeah.
0: Agreed. Yeah. That's a, that's a waste of time and money.
2: Yep. So my answer is that that's not the way to go, but here's a and, whole bunch. And I'll, of, I'll
0: say about that, John, to, mm-hmm. to interrupt you quick here in general, I think that's a waste of money. I've, I've tried them countless times and only once did I see it work. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, so if anything, it'll extend range, but but it's not going to give you a
2: speed boost, which is what he's looking for. So, right. um, a few options here. I'm going to mention here. Now he's talking the WRT54GS. Now I, I haven't used one of those in a while, but most of, of these wireless base stations, including the uh, you know Apple, have a setting for the transmit power. Make sure that's at 100. Right. Okay. I don't know why you. I believe it has that setting. So, so find that and just make sure that it, you, know, you hadn't inadvertently changed it. Uh, another thing is that I did find a reference to third-party firmware, uh, SeviaSoft, S-V-E-A-S-O-F-T dot com. And one of the things that that will do, uh, though I'd, I'd be cautious, uh, it is it was indicated to me when I did looked at this, it will let you increase the transmit power of the unit.
0: I did Beyond. that with. I used viasoft for years before I moved oh. over to DDWRT. At, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons to not use SviaSoft, but but DDWRT oh. does the same thing. It, you know, and most third, but Tomato firmware, I think they all do, uh, allow you to boost that signal. It it depends on the router and the mm. GS. I think can take. I think you got to look though. You got to look on the forums for mm. you know either viasoft or DDWord or whatever. That I think that can take quite a boost. I ran one of those for a while at, at a pretty hot clip, and it it did okay. You just got to make sure the thing stays cool. But um, but yeah, you right. But you know, even going from its default of whatever you know twenty eight uh, megawatts up to you know a hundred didn't quadruple my range. It didn't double my range. It maybe added. 15% to my range. I'm almost positive. You meant milliwatts. and not. Milliwatts. I did mean milliwatts. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cause, um, yeah. Cause I grew this th- funny thing. I've been meaning to show you, John. <laughs> yeah. If you had
2: megawatts, um, yeah, any, any, uh life form within the general vicinity, I think would, uh, especially a 2.4 gigahertz. Wouldn't. Oh, yeah. That's
0: microwaves, happy. man. <laughs> it, everything's yeah. cooked though. It's we never had any trouble with, uh, with raw meat in the house.
2: Because I'm trying to think, what do I have? I think my microwave is, I think it's 1,200 watts. Yeah, microwaves, yeah. I think, are typically 10, 10 to uh, you know 1,000 right. watts or more. So, right. yes, milliwatts. So you could do that, but you bring up a good caution, Dave, because I think you may be exceeding the design uh, of the unit if you exceed what Linksys has done. I mean, there's a little swing, yeah. but you're telling it to do something that it was not necessarily designed to do. So if anything, yeah, make sure that, you put it somewhere so it doesn't overheat and you may be generating, uh, interference, uh, you know, beyond FCC specifications. And stuff. Right. So, right. So I'd, I'd be careful about, about that, you know, do a little research online and see what other uh, results people have. Now there's another thing. Now I looked and Linksys does have a product that they claim is an extender, but what you do is you put it near the device that you want to create a boost for. So, it's different than the devices we were talking about before. I mean, it, it seems to be specifically designed to grab the signal when it's close to the base station and and push it out, maybe may directional. I, I found one. It's a WRE54G. Yeah. It looked to be about a hundred bucks, and they cl- they claim that it'll boost the wireless G signal and range. Yeah. So that may be worth it. Now, another thing is you may want to do some experimentation. Again, due, due to the, the wacky nature of RF, he may just be in a very bad spot. Now, you know how, how do you tell what sort of signal that you're getting? And there's a number of ways of doing that. One is you could, uh, I think it's option click on the airport menu, and you'll see a figure there, RSSI, which I think is Receive Signal Strength Indicator. And that number will vary when you move around. I don't know if I I, I didn't have much luck seeing that change too much when I I boogied around. But if you get something like iStumbler, that will show you base stations. And one of the figures that it shows you is a signal as a percentage. So you may want to do is, you know, start up iStumbler and just boogie around in this room and see if you get to it. You may just have picked a very bad spot that happens to be blocked by something. So could try that as well. Now, another, boy, I got a boatload, you know, like your other question there. I got a whole boatload, Dave. And you may have some of that as well. I another do. thing you could do, and I found one place, uh, we'll link to these guys here. Another thing is you could get a better antenna on the base station. Now, if you looked at some of these antennas, you know, they may not be the greatest. And you could certainly get better antennas. And I found one place, uh, www.hd.com com slash two dot four GHZ antennas dot uh, Some of them are pretty and, and you know they're kind of large and unwieldy, but they are higher gain antennas in that they'll you know tr- transmit a, a better signal or maybe a directional signal. So you may want to consider that. You know, look at the link and look at some of the kits that they have there. My understanding is that they have a good staff there as well, so you could chat with them about what your particular problem is. Yet another solution, and this is something that I reviewed, Dave. It's called the Wi-Fi. This is a thing I always like to bring with me on the road. The Wi-Fi is an amplified directional receive ante- Wi-Fi receive antenna, uh, currently only for B&G, but it, this thing shines when you're at a distance from your base station. Because it's directional and it's powered, it's going to be able to give you better throughput than the antenna built in to the computer, which uh, a lot of times is not necessarily the, the best, right? right. You know, it's a little, tiny little piece of wire in, in some cases. Uh, I think the Wi-Fi is, uh,
0: I, I think it's, uh, it's going for about 50
2: bucks now, maybe wow. Even less.
0: Wow. So, um, and but of that course plugs that in, only works with your computer. It won't work with your iDevices, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Right. It plugs into the USB port to get right. the power. Um, so yeah, it, it will only work with those. And then, lastly, he mentioned cable, and I looked into this. And uh, assuming that you're talking gigabit Ethernet or 1000BaseT, um, the accepted uh, or the uh, guideline for the maximum length of that is again they specified it in meters, but 100 meters. So I'm going to say I mean. that's about that's about 300 feet, 330 feet or so, <clears throat> right? And I looked and uh, and Monoprice, which is a place that I like to get cables from, they have a Cat Six 100 foot cable for about 11 books and uh, 11 bucks dollars. <laughs> so that's not much. And uh, the, the, the nice thing I like about mono prices is, is the cables come in lots of nice designer colors. So you may be able to get a color that actually uh, doesn't look too ugly uh, when you're running it in your, uh, in your house.
0: I think work, that's, that's about it. <laughs> I'm going to work backwards from your, your ideas okay. here, John. Okay. So with ethernet cable, you, you got a couple of options. Obviously, if you could run it through the walls, uh, that would be best. If you can't do that, you know, if you're on, if you're above a basement or below an attic, you can always poke up, go over and come back down. Right. It still requires a little bit of finesse and, in and sheetrock work, but, uh, not that bad. Uh, if you can't do sheetrock, but you don't want to just have a cable running along the floor. There's something I used to use called Panduit P A N D U I T, uh, which is essentially uh, little conduits and you can get it in various sizes and colors uh, that runs along the wall. We've all seen it before, but we probably haven't seen it in that it, it can be made to look very, very uh, tight and professional and you stick, it's a two piece kind of thing. You stick the back plate to the wall. It, it, typically is just stuck right on, but you could probably screw it in if you wanted. And then, uh, and then you run the cable in and you snap the front onto it. And that way you're not seeing cables or anything. And you can pando it right up to a, a junction box and, and uh, you know, build a little Jack for yourself. Uh, in, in the end, I think that's probably not a bad idea to get uh, something and, and stretch your network via cabling. I, it really, I believe that power line, is the cheapest way to do this. If you don't want to just run cable all over creation. Um, but, you know, obviously cable itself is cheaper than, than, you know, a hundred and what, 50 bucks or so for a pair of power line adapters. And that's
2: going to be the best speed you're going to get in, in the, in all cases. Cable always- is,
0: cable's better than power line. Power line going to be better than, than anything else below it. That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, but you know, you're talking about replacing your router uh, or adding a new router. I'm buying hardware to do that anyway. My, my my feeling is: take a look at that WRT you know five four GS. Great router for its day. Great router for its money in its day. Great backup router to have. In fact, I have one pre configured, ready to roll for when my current router uh, flakes out, which has happened. Very reliable router that fifty four GS. But it's a G router. Chances are, I know your i devices are probably end devices. <laughs> Chances are your computer is an N device, my thought. And, you know, that router wasn't all that powerful. Uh, If you go and get a new, uh, even just a a single radio N router. So you're still going to be running 2.4 gigahertz. You're not running five. But if you're running, you know, BGN Mixed. Your end speeds, even if your signal didn't get any better, and I know it's going to get better because router technology and, uh, and all that stuff has, has come away since the that that router you have was released. So get a get an N router, you know, get an Apple one, get a Linksys one. It doesn't matter, but get one that that'll do BG and N, you know, N speeds because of the technology are just faster. So as long as you can get a signal, you're going to get that faster speed, even if the signals degraded. Right. So I think.
2: Um, Yeah. You know, I I got uh, just to add to that. Yeah. Sorry to to interrupt. No, it's all right. No, I I actually remember. um, I don't have the the review in front of me, but I distinctly remember when I was doing the Wi-Fi review that N, when it's close to the base, well, almost always because it's rated higher. But as you start getting farther away, at some point, G, I think, is a more robust protocol. Really? yeah i saw it it was it was really kind of unusual let, let, huh. let me bring it up but I, okay. I just want to offer that caveat is that at extreme distances when you start to get to the end you know i think yep. it, you know about 300 feet is 100 or 300 feet i think is the range they advertise as you start getting on the fringes which it sounds like he may be um n may not always give you better better throughput at least the 2.4 was my experience huh maybe maybe it's different at five no five i think
0: actually doesn't but yeah we probably less
2: five doesn't five doesn't even yeah five doesn't travel as far though if you're close then five gigahertz i think will always give you a faster right faster speed
0: let me look that up while you uh, continue to uh, pontificate so i you know i really i think getting a new router is is going to I'm going to help you solve your problem. It, of course the placement of your router if you're only going to run one uh, is equally important. So if you can kind of figure out, well, look, when I have, you know, my router on one side of my fridge and my computer on the other and the signal's not so good, well, can you put the router somewhere else where really there's no place for you to be on the other side of your fridge, right? Is, and 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 that's a difficult thing to do because you got your cable modem comes into the house in one spot and you just might not have the flexibility of doing that, which is where power line really can can help you. Uh, one. And, and so I said I was working backwards. The simplest thing I can think of here, though, is try changing the channel on your router. It's possible that there's no interference inside your house, but there's interference from outside your house that when you get to the opposite corner, you know, whereas channel one, let's say you're on channel one. It uh, works great in one room, but you get to the other corner of the house and channel one stinks because your neighbor's also broadcasting on channel one, try changing the channel. Uh, there's a great, it, we've talked about how these Wi-Fi channels overlap. Um, there's a great graph and I'm going to, I'm going to put it, uh, I'm going to give it to John so that it gets in the show notes, but it's, it's at Wikipedia under the uh, 802.11 article, but there's a killer mm-hmm. graph that shows all these channels and kind of overlapping and uh, and how to pick channels, and it's not perfect, but it gives you an idea of. Okay, I see. You know, channel one, two, and three all conflict with each other. Four, not quite so much. Five, uh, not you know, very little bit. But six and channel channel six and channel one totally separate. You know, and same all the way going up to eleven. And if you are not in the U.S., you can go up to fourteen, and uh, and get yet a fourth one out of that out of that you know twenty two megahertz kind of range there. Uh, so those are my thoughts, but really, I think replace the router first, you're going to buy a new router anyway. Uh, so, you know, replace the router and, and put the GS as your, as your slave router in the, you know, in the other room, if you run a cable or do power line or whatever it is, but yeah, you're probably going mm-hmm. to you need know, to probably do something Unle- unless the, the channel switch fixes it for you. And then, you, you know, you free solution. There you go.
2: No. Actually, another, you know, I mean, if you're close to, uh, you know, speaking of neighbors, if you're close enough to another access point, you know. <laughs> well, there's that, it's too. Just, uh, you know. I, <laughs> Borrow. No. And actually, I looked at my review here, Dave, so, so I'm going to correct what I said. So, no, okay. I, I, ne- I did not run into a situation where N was slower than G. Okay. Using the MacBook antenna. But I did run into a case as you started getting farther away where G using the Wi-Fi was faster than N using the Mac antenna. Okay, that I can believe. Yeah, because again, they're yeah. amplified and directional. Right. So, so, it, And I think at 50 feet, I saw where the, uh, the, the Wi-Fi started to give me better speeds than the N, at least the 2.4 gigahertz N built into the uh, the
0: MacBook. Yeah, I'll buy that. So, um, Sure, sure. Cool. Well, I think it's time to bring the band in, John. We want to let you know how to contact us. Of course, we've had all these great people that have emailed in their questions, tips, and comments and pontifications, if you will. And they've done it in a various uh, number of ways. They've called 206 666 geek which is... four. Three, three, five. But what they've also done,
2: Dave, is they sent an email to us, and they sent the email to feedback at macgeekab.com. Let
0: me give you a correction on that. That's feedback at macgeekab.com, John.
2: (laughs) I'm with you on that. Feedback at
0: macgeekab.com. That's the way. That's right. boy uh skype uh you can skype us to mac geek gab you can uh visit the show notes at mac dot com and uh and you can leave us comments in itunes but we can't reply to them there so you know have fun leaving them though
2: it's good no and uh what else uh yeah this twitter thing which you know it's uh, i think it's still still kind of hip but uh i am john effron dave is dave hamilton the podcast is Mac Geekab, if you want to get updates about when we you know for example post the show notes that's or right. post the shows um, pilot Pete if you're interested uh, what's happening with him and Mac Observer it,
0: it all just kind of makes sense it all just makes sense that's right uh, I'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the we have communicators podcast all about the iPhone iPad and beyond uh, he converts this show to AAC for you you know it's we do this every now and then uh, the schedule at which the show is released is as follows. John and I record now, which now is sort of a relative time for all of you. But as soon as we finish recording, we endeavor to post the MP3 within 15 minutes of me hitting the stop button. So you're getting the show live fresh if you subscribe to the MP3 feed. However, wow. most, most of you don't. Most of you are subscribed to the AAC feed. Which, uh, of course, Michael can't start working on that until we finish. And with the way our schedule is and with the the way his schedule is, uh, that usually takes about 24 hours. Sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little less. Uh, But figure 24 hours. So if you are looking, and then the show notes uh, usually follow that by another 24 hours. Again, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less. So, mm-hmm. if you're looking for things, that's the order in which stuff comes out. If you want the show the early, as soonest as possible, uh, you want to subscribe to the MP3 feed, and you can find that at MacGeekab.com. There's a link there, and, and you can do it. That's that's. Did you tr- say MacGeekab.com? Did say MacGeekab.com, John? That's right. You scared me. Uh, so that's, uh, that's that. Cashfly does provide all the bandwidth. C a c h e f l y, and uh, the podcast marketplace this month includes the A two desktop speakers from Audio Engine, you know, Jimbo from Barebone Software, disc label from Smile and Notebook from Circus Ponies, all of course through Backbeat Media. And I think that's it. We're out of here. I don't know when we're podcasting next. Certainly next Monday, and we might have one. In th- Do we have one later this week, John? I can't remember. Uh, I don't believe so. No. All right. I don't don't think it's on my calendar. No. 303 next Monday. We are at Macworld Expo doing a live show on the show floor. John and I will close the show Saturday at 5 p.m. Come to a live show with us. Stump the Geek. We'll tell you our thoughts. Have a good week, but don't get caught.
3: Made up.